Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. I am so excited to welcome my good friend Robert Lopez to the Future of XYZ. Robert, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, well, we're going to talk about the future of literature. I mean, you are a published author many times over across poetry and collections of, of stories and novels. You have your first nonfiction book coming out next year and a, yet another, I think your fourth novel coming out uh, like in a, in a day or something. Um, so tell me a little bit, I mean, I think you're deeply enmeshed in the world of literature and writing. How do you define literature um, for yourself right now? You know, I, I suppose it, it really has changed over the course of my writing life. In that when I first started, I think like a lot of writers who came of age, say in their early 90s, we were under the influence of realism and there was a very particular uh, aesthetic. And, and so many writers kind of fell into that mode of narrative and storytelling. But over time, I think as the world has become more uh, absurd, I think I have embraced that absurdity and leaned into it. And um, so for my part, absurdity and the, the, the absolute bad road that, that we all seem to be on um, politically, when it comes to climate change, and I find that these issues that never would have been a part of my literary conversation 30 plus years ago are part of the conversation now. And I used to be very much of the mind that politics has no place in art. And, and now I'm not so sure about that. Now I think that uh, there is a balance to be struck between certainly propaganda, which is bad, but art that engages the world we live in and tries to, in some way, uh, illuminate it or push back against it, uh, seems to be the responsibility of the artist I'm, in 2022. I'm so surprised, though, to hear you say that you didn't think it always was, because when I think about literature, I think about the telling of stories that have cultural relevance and tell a moment of time. Of course, there's romance and science fiction and things, but they're all somewhat founded in an author. And I, again, you're the expert here. So, but they're founded in author realized experience of life. And it seems to me that that's an, there's always going to be some element of the exposure of the cultural zeitgeist of the moment or the political, um, even if indirectly. So I'm surprised to hear you say that you don't think, I mean, I think you, your own story comes through in your writing, you know? I mean, so yes, there's a responsibility that's perhaps more um, aggravated at the moment. Um, and perhaps that's what you're saying. But I'm surprised to hear you say that's not part of literature previously, for you at least. 
for for me at least. I mean, I, I and you know the 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 literature that I responded to the most. I mean, so for instance, like modernism was born out of the horrors of World War One, right? And 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 the world hadn't seen that kind of mass destruction, uh, and so that gave birth to people like Joyce and and Gertrude Stein and and Beckett eventually, who was writing during and after World War II, that, that you know, what the Sartre's, you know, like being in nothingness, that it, and that it all was, was meaningless, that with, that our kind of had to address the meaninglessness of the waste that we saw all around us. Yeah. Um, and then after that, after that movement happened, um, and we got more into postmodernism in the 60s and the 70s, which then was replaced by realism in, in, in the dominant mode of literature. Um, that, of course, writing is an inherently political act. That every time you say something, you're going to involve the politics of the moment and perhaps the politics of history. Uh, but for a long part of my time on this planet, and I just turned 50 this past year, I really felt that I was living in an ahistorical time mm. that changed on September 11th, 2001. Then I thought, okay, this is the first time that I'm seeing history as it happens. Mm. Before that, like even the fault, the, 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 the Berlin Wall coming down may have been the, the biggest event. And that didn't feel too, I know for you know the people in East Berlin, it was a big deal, but it didn't have a, a real global- uh, It wasn't it a wasn't, daily impact. Yeah, it wasn't, and it wasn't around that. I mean, it was only like 40 years or so where we had that. And, um, yeah, it felt very temporary. Whereas with September 11th, like, wait, well, life is going to be different from here on out. And it, and it certainly has been. Our, our lives have been impacted by what happened on that day. And everything that's happened politically has been born out of that and going back a little bit further, Vietnam and, and, and people not trusting the government anymore. And yeah, so I feel that politics is a part in literature. It always has. But for my way of thinking, I've been most interested in, in just people doing people things. And the big questions of the day may or may not be examined during that sort of rendering. But I think now the big doings have to be a part of it. I, I'm, I, I think it's a really interesting shift, especially for someone who teaches writing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you've taught at Columbia, the New School, Pratt, Syracuse, mm -hmm. and now you're at Stony Brook. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, teaching the next generation is a very big responsibility. And I, I don't, I want to, don't want to like kind of ground us in the politic of, of, of writing, but how do you teach writing and how do you kind of create a foundation in literature that sets young people up for the future? Well, I think 
that also has changed over the course of time. And ultimately I want to, to help writers find who it is they're supposed to be as a writer. Uh, if I can expose them to uh, a host of writers that they have not uh, read before, that can spark some sort of new way of thinking about writing, I feel like that's one of my biggest responsibilities. Trying to encourage them to risk emotion and risk language and expose their own vulnerabilities on the page is something that I find uh, to be a huge part of my job as a, as a writing teacher. And that has remained consistent over the course of, of the 20 years that I've been doing this. How it has changed lately is I feel, you know, I have a sense that, that these young people are totally doomed and that I would not want to trade places with a 20 year old writer or a 25 year old writer or a 30 year old writer. Um, and I think that the, 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 the cards are so stacked against uh, younger people today as artists, as writers, and pretty much across the, the board that um, I think, you know, I tell them that and it gets a big laugh. I say, you're all doomed and- um, Partially that's your delivery, Robert. I, having, I know it firsthand. I mean, right. it's hard not to laugh when you say very serious, heavy things like that. <laughs> um, and then I say, okay, you know, in spite of that, in spite of the fact that you're doomed, we're gonna try to do a certain amount of work here together and we're going to, you know, ignore that elephant and, and uh, see if we can make something beautiful together. And whereas 20 years ago, I never said that to me. I never said you were doomed. Right. Um, but the realities of climate change and fascism and, and wars and, you know, and, it just feels like as a writer now is whole different than it was even 20 years ago. And I mean, I think that's correct. I mean, and I think it leads us to a couple of topics about really where things are pivoting right now. I mean, I just look at, let's just think about like, we used to go to the local bookstore, the independent bookstore, and then right. it was Barnes and Noble, right? And then it was mm -hmm. Amazon. And, you know, you have ebooks and you have audible books and you have all of this, you have, you know, series that can be self-published. I mean, the industry around literature, right, mm -hmm. has changed profoundly. You have things like Blinklist, which give you sound bites of a whole book, you know, in 30 seconds or less. I mean, it, is that also contributing to like this idea that you share with students that like they're doomed because- yeah. Literature, no one has the attention span for, or or there's it's just too commercialized. What what's your take on kind of like those aspects, of like the invention of tech and distribution models and all of that? Well, no, I mean I think that's a, a really great question, and that's another thing that's changed dramatically in the course of my teaching life. In that you know, twenty years ago, there was you know, if you needed a book, you needed to go to the bookstore. To get it, there was no you know one stop shopping. Click it, and it's at your door the next day. Uh, and there's a lot. Or in your we, ear set, two minutes later. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a lot we've lost because I wonder how much I used to when I first came to writing and reading as a uh, as a thing that I was going to do with my life. Um, 
I would go to bookstores every week and browse and read and hang out. And uh, I wanted and needed to know everything that was going on. And I don't know whether or not that, that still happens. When I talk to grad students, I don't get a sense that they're as hungry or as... Um, Passionate, dare I say? Yeah, I would say passionate or as serious. Um, when I reference certain writers, I could tell that they don't know who I'm talking about. And, you know, I think that's fine because there is a time to learn. But I also think that with the internet, that you have so much access to everything that if you're passionate about a particular subject matter um, or a particular discipline, you should you, you should be able to find everything that you're looking for. And one, it should be like the, the, the Wikipedia rabbit hole. This leads me to this, which leads me to this, which leads me to this. So I, find, I found this writer through this writer who led me to this writer. And I'm not sure how many younger writers have that kind of experience. Of course, they're out there. And I talk to them and I've had them in my classes, both as undergrads and, a grad, and, and graduate students, um, but they seem to be fewer and farther between. And I think the, the culture has made that possible through social media, through the endless streaming services that, you know, you can always find some show that, a might be brilliant or B might be totally fucking idiotic. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, they're going to talk about it on their TikToks and their, you know, Instagram. Book, book talk. You know, whatever it is. I don't even know what the book talk book, is. Book talk is TikTok's book channel. I mean, which is like mental because COVID, you know, there's like so many negative outcomes of COVID, right? In terms right. of people's attention span and kids in school for sure. Sure. And yet, it's also, I mean, a lot of people refound a passion for reading and, and for the book. And, and this is a fascinating, I, I want to say fallout usually is a bad thing, but, but impact yeah. of something that's been so horrible, people with time at home. I mean, I do know that the ongoing joke is like most of us wanted to, you know, learn a new language and read, you know, Dostoevsky. Yeah. Most of us didn't get to any of that, but there is a subset of people who, in fact, really leaned in on the literature side of things, um, and and it sets up battles between libraries and you know ebook sellers and publishers and all the rest of it. I mean, in crazy ways of commerce that you wouldn't think about. But your point is a really valid one in the sense of you know I I have to say like where where is it all going <laughs> you know and because you have like these two things at the same time which is like people want the entertainment and yeah. it's endless amount of content out there most of us have lost our attention spans thanks to these little digital devices that we carry around with us everywhere mm -hmm. how does literature then play a role in our lives when i mean the number of books being published is also growing right exactly so there, there are more books coming out every year and there are more publishers who are getting into publishing every year. Uh, so, you know, th those two things seem to work against each other somehow, but maybe it is a pushback. And, you know, every so often the culture kind of harkens back to some trend or some, 
set of ideals that that was popular x amount of years ago right and history um, repeats itself yeah i mean in a sense essentially that's that's the thing is that history does repeat and so sometimes i look at literary writing what i do as it's going to become more and more of a niche like you know jazz was the popular music in america in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and then with the advent of rock and roll in the 50s jazz has become increasingly more niche right and so no one listens to jazz anymore it's a very narrow pool but there are still people making jazz music there are still people going to these events and um I, I think so the future of writing and literature, I think perhaps is gonna follow a similar path. I think it's gonna become more and more niche over time. Um, but there are also opportunities for people to push back against that and, uh, and dive into books as a way to, you know, be a rebel very much like how it seems to me that there was a time, I can't remember exactly when it started, but at some point, I remember movies were almost always like 90 minutes long, 90 minutes long. And then at some point, two, two and a half hours, three, like everybody were, were making two and a half hour movies. Like it seemed to go completely against the trend of a shortened attention span. Totally. And so, you know, those things working at the same time make for an interesting relationship and yeah there are going to be weirdos out there who are into jazz and are into literary writing <laughs> and thank god for them i mean you've written a number of different types of books right so speaking of literature literature mm -hmm. is a genre we'll call it we'll call it a niche <laughs> um the latins would be horrified by such a thing but that's okay um what is your like I mean what do you consider your genre and where do you what do you see as like kind of like the popular genres of the future within literature well for me you know I I write literary fiction or literary nonfiction, right so um I've written some poems uh so as far as like the, the genre it would be literary fiction or nonfiction. Then when you break that down a little bit further, you might say something along the lines of absurdism or dark comedy kind of a thing. Uh, you're all doomed kind of thing. Kind of we're all doomed. And you know, while we're doomed and while we're headed off to oblivion, we should, you know, I think laugh at ourselves and the folly that we all can't get away from. Um, but, you know, the word darkness comes up a lot when people talk about what it is I've done. You know, I, I understand what they're saying, but I also think that, that it also happens to be funny. Yeah. And so, you know, I think those two things for me uh, are symbiotic. People, now, as people, as, people, say, people say that about me too. It's like, you're so cynical. It's like, and it's like, no, it's just like, it's being sardonic. You know, I, I always joke, I'm an optimistic nihilist. It's like, I think right. the folly of things, but it comes back to what you were saying. And, and I'm curious about your creative process and how that's evolved, because I, I think I, I think it's what you were saying before about like politics coming back into this, the way that people understand literature, what they use it for. You know, content mm -hmm. has become an escape, but as well as an educator. 
right? And, and, and with the internet, for instance, I mean, there's so many ways of researching. How, what is your process and how per, perhaps has that evolved or do you see it kind of continuing to evolve? Well, my process when it comes to fiction writing has always been born out of language. So I've never had an idea for a story or a novel. I've only had opening sentences that presented themselves and I would write the succeeding sentences and before long there was a human mess happening and it would tell me what it wanted to be. Um, so if it felt like a really short flash fiction, I would let it be that. If it felt like a story, I would let it be that. Only once or twice have I written a story. So you know what, there might be more to this. Um, so I'm gonna play around with it and see what I can make out of it. Uh, so the, the, the story tells me what it wants to be and I try to get out of the way as much as possible. For the nonfiction book that's coming out next year, and which I'm still working on periodically, uh, that one was born out of an idea of, of my identity and uh, where I come from and heritage and the disconnect I feel due to the assimilation that was closer to an erasure than anything else. And so I wrote a series of essays circling those issues. What's the book going to be called? The book, that book is called Dispatches from Puerto Nowhere. And um, that will be out next March, 2023. And the book that's coming out this week is? Uh, the book is coming out next, this actually, we pushed back the pub date, so it's now April 5th. Okay. Um, it's a better class of people. And I just learned today that my publisher for that book, Design Books, is donating all sales in March to uh, the Ukrainian war effort. Um, so I thought Talking that about really... politics, getting involved in literature. Exactly. So I was really pleased to hear that. And when I do send out an email announcement about the book, um, I'm going to mention that and hope that people can uh, help out the, the poor people of Ukraine right now. What a mess. Um, as we think about wrapping up, Robert, I just have one question. I mean, any kind of artistic endeavor, of which I certainly consider writing, and especially the kind of writing that you do, you know, soul-filled, passion, all those words that you use for your, your, you know, your own students. I mean, it's exhausting. You are putting a lot of yourself, mm -hmm. you know, into the pages um, and into the words and into the sentences. How do you kind of recoup? I mean, you're quite prolific. I mean, you write you write all the time and you teach in addition. Like, how do you recoup from this? And, and going forward, you know, as the future of literature, as the world gets faster and faster and the expectation is greater and greater, like how does this play a role in the future of literature? Um, you know, I, I can understand being called prolific because, you know, there's this book coming out now, there's a book coming out next year and I actually have, a contract for a book coming out the following year that that book is mostly completely done but for you know most days of my life i don't come close to writing at all um and you know any particular day week month year decade most of the time i don't write but when i do i manage to really hone in and concentrate and get it to find the shape to where it speaks to something that feels like a book. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know how it happens. I don't keep journals and I don't know, um, I don't keep diaries. So I, it just all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, I think I have something that might be a book here and I find a way to make that happen. Um, and it is, it is exhausting. It, it, it's exhausting to do this stuff. And so I, I but for the most part, I, I also am one of the great loungers of all time. And, and particularly here in North America, I am, uh, uh, I'm really good at lying down on the couch. And, and a prolific tennis player. And a you know, very prolific tennis player. I, I generally play about four times a week. And um, yeah, so I, it's important to make time to do all that because without the lounging and without the tennis, then I would certainly lose my mind. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I think, I think it's a, a nice place to wrap up. I, I read a study just the other day that was talking about how mind wandering and leisure time is such an important ingredient in the creative process. And you've, you've really just confirmed that, especially in the, our attention grabbing Absolutely. world. Yeah. Um, Robert, where can people get the book? Um, well, A Better Class of People, which I might as well show you here. Yes, please. Um, they can, uh, oh, so April 5th, it publishes. You should find it in uh, most bookstores. Uh, but we're publishing this on April 7th, so it will just come out. Excellent. So by then you should... Um, you should find it in all the bookstores and certainly all the online book places like IndieBound and Bookshop and Amazon and the brick and mortar stores, uh, whether they be Barnes and Noble or your local independent bookstore, which we should always support. Um, there'll be all uh, those books will be out in all those places. And uh, I might be, I have right now slated a, a reading at Greenlight Books in May. And in Fort Green, Brooklyn in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, and a Zoom launch through Community Bookstore in Park Slope, Brooklyn, uh, that is scheduled for April something or other. I don't know exactly when. Excellent. Um, Robert, thank you for joining us on Future of XYZ today. It is so nice to see you. It's so great to see you, Lisa. This has been a lot of fun. Um, and everyone listening, make sure that you go out and support your local bookstore. Check out Robert's book. I can't recommend his writing enough. Uh, and if you're watching or listening and aren't already subscribed, do so on YouTube, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts uh, and videos and follow Future of XYZ on Instagram. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. And Robert, thank you again. And good luck with this book launch and writing two more. Thank you, Lisa. See you soon. Okay, bye now. Thanks for listening to The Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to The Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.